The reading this morning will be from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. You know, I was uh, reading some stats last week, and I found this one that said in America, uh, and, and I guess, you know, any other sort of modern countries like it, that every single day, every single day, the average person is exposed to like 10,000 advertisements. 10,000. I mean, I didn't really have time to check that out and count in my own life, but... Uh, you know, I was thinking about it, and I sort of tend to believe it's close because it's just everywhere. Advertising is everywhere all around us, right? We see it on billboards. We see logos everywhere. Like in this room, we're, we're filled with logos. Um, things pop up on our phones. They, they pop up on really any screen we might be looking at, and it's a lot, right? We see them all the time. One of the main goals of advertising is to create a like sense of lack within us. The ad companies, they want us to feel like we are lacking something and, and that we need to act on that feeling by purchasing whatever it is that they're selling so that we can feel satisfied, right? This is their, this is their idea. And there's a lot of psychological trickery going on there because they know that if we have this sense of lack within us, you know, we often will act on it. In the advertising world, it seems to work actually quite a bit. But in other areas of our lives, there is another outcome that can also happen uh, when we get this sense of lack within us or this feeling of inadequacy within us. You know, sometimes in life, it can actually drive us to inactivity rather than activity. For instance, uh, many of us are probably able to fill in the blank for this statement. You know, if only... If only I had more time, you know, then I would, and then you can fill in the blank. I think many of us feel this sense of lack when it comes to time or, or money or maybe it's something else. You know, we feel like we don't have enough of something and quite often that can be our reason for not acting. We might say things like, well, I want my kids to know God. I want to serve more. I want to read the Bible more. I want to use my gifts to serve the church more. But I just don't have the time or the talent or the expertise or the money or or whatever. You know, you could go on and on. And the result is that we just don't start. We don't act. 
that sense of lack or inadequacy, it holds us back. And I, and I don't know if anyone's resonating with this, but I know for me personally, you know, I feel that way. I feel it all the time. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. You know, since it's Mother's Day today, uh, and happy Mother's Day, by the way, to all our mothers and mother figures here. Really appreciate you. Um, since it's Mother's Day, today's story, I thought we could take uh, a lesson from a mother in Scripture. It's about a mother today. The story that we're looking at today is about a mother who realized that it wasn't really so much about what she was lacking, but rather it was about, it was more about what God could do with what she already had. And when she realized that and when she acted on it, it really changed everything about the situation. And I think there's a lesson in in that story for all of us today, you know, not just for the mothers, but for everyone. The message is that God can do a lot with very little, provided that we dedicate the little that we have to him in faith. You know, that that little I'm referring to, it could be anything. It could be a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of resources, a little bit of faith. We may feel like we don't have enough, right? We feel inadequate. But this mother here in, in 2 Kings 4 teaches us that if we give the little that we have to God in faith, He, He can do a lot with it. I call this sermon Running on Empty because <laughs> I feel like maybe that's where a lot of us are at, you know. And maybe the mothers among us are some of the clearest examples we have of that, you know. They work hard, man. <laughs> Uh, they're taxed to the max, you could say. We've been, we've been reflecting on that maybe in these last few days leading up to Mother's Day and all that our mothers do. You know, maybe they have kids at home. Maybe they have a career. Maybe they're taking care of aging parents. Uh, maybe they're pouring themselves out for the church community or, or in their community that they live in. Maybe they're running from activity to activity trying to juggle relationships with people that are close to them, trying to juggle a relationship with God, trying to look after their physical and their, their mental and their, their spiritual health along the way. I mean, it's a lot, right? And I'm sure many of us can relate to that. Even if we're not a mother, we all tend to lead these pretty all-consuming lives in our culture. It's easy to feel like we're running on empty. You know, we want to do more for God. We want to get involved in the church. We want to be more intentional with our time at home. You know, maybe with our kids, with our spouse. To work on things that really matter. But we feel that sense of lack. That sense of inadequacy. We, we want, we just want more time. We want more money. We want more opportunities to come. But it just never really seems to be enough. And that's why I love this story, you know, because it challenges us to use, uh, sorry, to see things rather from a different perspective. We don't have to see this personal uh, sense of lack or this personal sense of inadequacy as a prison to live in. The message is this morning that if we even have the smallest faith in God and we can bring to him even the smallest amount of whatever it is, and if we can dedicate it to Him, He can do amazing things with it. Because it's not really about us and our ability 
as much as it is about what He can do with broken and inadequate situations and broken and inadequate people. It's all for His glory. And, and so I, I want to get into this. Uh, I just want to take a minute, though, to set up the story and highlight a couple of things before we get too far into it. Um, first of all, let me just say that if anybody could feel like they were running on empty, this uh, mother had to be the person, right? Verse 1 says that her husband had just died. And she was in debt up to her eyeballs to top it off. And in this culture, you know, as a woman... <coughs> She really didn't have an opportunity uh, to work like, like a man could work and earn money and pay off his debt. You know, she was sort of stuck. And on top of all of it, because of the debt, you know, her sons were going to have to become slaves of whoever it was that they owed money to, to pay off the family debt. That might sound kind of like a crazy situation to us today, but in this time and in this culture, if you had a debt that you needed to pay off, you could become a slave or a servant of whoever you owed money to and work to pay off that debt. We see this come up in Leviticus in the Old Testament law. It says, if any of you, sorry, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. And that happened every seven years. And then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and their own property of their ancestors. So we see here, like this is, this was a real thing for, for this time, right? People could work for somebody. For up to like six years until the seventh year, the, the next year of Jubilee. And at that point, they would go free after they'd paid their debt. But even this, even though this was sort of a common practice, I don't think it made it any easier for this mother. You know, she was about to lose her sons along with the husband that she'd already lost. And, and she would have been in a really like a seriously brutal position as a woman in that culture in that time. It was bad. And you can detect, um, you can detect like a sense of urgency or even anger, I think, when she's speaking to Elijah, or Elisha, the prophet. You know, she had married a prophet of God, for goodness sakes. You know, she, she married someone who dedicated their life to serving him. And now this is how she's repaid? Doesn't that seem unfair? You can sense that she expected that God was going to take care of her and not allow for this to happen, but yet this is her situation. Maybe she's also angry just about the whole system in general, the whole culture. What kind of a society would be organized in a way like this where something like this could happen to her? Maybe she felt like the deck was stacked against her. Can you relate to any of that in your own life? You identify in some way with this mother's situation. I think many of us can, right? And that's one of the reasons why I love the story so much. We can see our situation in hers because we know what it's like to feel a sense of lack or a sense of inadequacy or a sense of injustice or a sense of hopelessness. And the powerful part is that this story meets all those situations with a message of hope when we realize that God can do a lot with people who are running on empty, you know, He is a God that we can trust. 
He's a God who transforms our faith into fruit. Even if the situation is bleak and even if that faith is very small. And I want to highlight just two of the lessons today that we learned from this mother. The first was the importance of her change in focus. She found hope in shifting her focus onto what God could do with what she had right now. That was a big shift. That made a big difference. And the next lesson comes from the mother's change in approach. Instead of waiting for something to change, waiting for the change to come, the message was for her to act, to act right now with the little that she had in faith that God would show up in the midst of it. And so I want to just go through these two things today. It's very simple because I think this could apply to us too. Let's start with how she shifted her focus toward what she had right now. God, he was speaking through the prophet Elisha, like we mentioned, and he asked the woman, what does she have in her house? What does she already have that God's given her? And really, you know, there isn't much, not much at all. She says, I got, I got nothing, you know, except maybe I got this little jar of oil, a tiny jar of oil. That's all I have. But just having her consider what she had in her house was important because it started a shift in her thinking to to shift away from what she felt she was missing to thinking about what she already had. And, And that was an important shift, as we see in the story. And it's a question that you and I probably need to consider today as well. If we're only thinking about all the things that are wrong or all the things that we're missing Maybe it's time for us to consider this question too. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your possession right now that God can use? And maybe our answer would be a lot like the mother. You know, there's not much. There's not much. I've got like 10 minutes on the drive home from work. I've got like a few dollars after I've paid all the bills at the end of the month. I've just got this tattered relationship with my spouse or with my kids, or I've just got this dead-end job, you know, that's not really seeming to go anywhere. The content, though, it, it really isn't as important as the mindset, I think. That's what we see here. The whole story changed for the mother when her focus shifted onto what she had instead of what she was missing. And, and maybe that's the focus, the change in focus that you and I can make today as well. In verse 3, God builds on that starting point, on that shifting focus. Through the prophet, he he tells the woman to go out to the neighbors and and start gathering up all the pots that she can find. And I found it kind of interesting that he involved the neighbors. You know, I wonder if he was trying to give her a new definition of, of what a blessing could look like for her. To redefine what she understood as possible. I think it's a human tendency to define what is possible for God based on what we've already had experience with him doing. You know, maybe in this woman's house, she already had a certain number of pots and her definition of God's ability to bless her was, you know, something like all of the the pots in her house being full. You know, she'd seen that before. And in her mind, that kind of made sense that 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 maybe could happen again. But but that was kind of the limit of what God would be capable of doing to bless her. But God was about to redefine all of that. 
And how about you and me, right? Like, where is the limit of God's ability to bless you in your mind? Where's the limit of what God, uh, where's the limit of what's possible for God in your mind? I think we all probably have that limit somewhere, right? There's a limit in our mind in some way. Maybe it's based on what we've seen God do in the past. But the reality is that he's able to do much more than whatever you can fathom. In fact, he's limitless. So where is your limit for what you believe God can do with what you bring to him? Are your limits based on your limited situation, on your limited strength, on your definition of what possible means? You know, I'll be the first to admit that uh, this message is for me. <laughs> you know, I'm an expert at trying to fit things within my definition of, of what possible is. But this story shows us that God can totally break those limits. He can redefine what possible is. It's kind of his thing. We're going to see that today. He works with people who say things like, you know, let me just start with what I have right now, and I'm trusting that God is going to provide the rest. And I'm challenged by this story to follow the example of this mother and make that change in my focus. Instead of just thinking about all the roadblocks or the if-onlys, instead of thinking about what I don't have, Maybe I can focus on what I have right now, even if it's just a little bit, and see what God can do with that when I turn it over to Him in faith. Even if it is a little bit, even if I feel inadequate, even if my faith is small, the story teaches me that if I really give it over to God, He can turn it into something. And so the, the second lesson I think that we learn from this mother is is about her change in approach. It was a change from waiting in fear, and waiting in, in uh, sort of this state of not moving, to acting, to acting in faith that God would use what she was acting in to make a real difference. And I appreciate, you know, that the Bible, it makes this very realistic, or it, it makes the situation brutally honest, you know. Her situation, as we talked about here in verse 1, it was ugly. She had a lot of things stacked against her. And life, it can really seriously be that way sometimes. But maybe that's kind of the point. You know, the story I think is supposed to show us in a way that no matter how bad it gets, we can and, and really we need to uh, try and avoid being paralyzed by fear. To try and avoid... Uh, this sort of negative mindset of thinking things like, you know, I, I know God wants me to do this or do that, but I just can't because such and such, you know, fill in the blank. God gets this mother to shift her thinking, to shift her approach towards going, uh, towards doing, sorry, what she could with what was already in her hands. And, and in verse 5 here we see she starts pouring starts pouring the oil, and God starts doing the impossible. What could this look like? What could verse 5 look like in your life and my life today? What if we gave God those five minutes today during the ride home with our kids? What could He do with that time? What if we dedicated our work day tomorrow to God? What could He do with that? 
What if we, um, what if we dedicated our media choices to him this week? What do you think he could do with that? What if we dedicated our next conversation with a loved one to him? What could he do with it? What if we followed that calling that we know he's putting on our heart, even if we don't really see how it could all work out just yet? What could he do with that? And it's important for us when we're thinking about these things to try to avoid the old, you know, if only thinking. It's so easy for us to revert back to that way of thinking that's centered around our abilities and our definition of what's possible. You know, if only I had more time or more money or if I was better at this or if I had experience with that or, you know, you can fill in the blank. But the whole point of the story, I think, is to help us appreciate that the focus, if the focus is on me, you know, it, that, that way of thinking where my focus is me-centered is not, not a good focus, you know. The whole point of the story, I think, is to shift our focus away from thinking about ourselves, thinking about what I think is possible or what I can do based on my experience or my strength or my resources, and instead to try to try to start thinking, you know what, okay, what do I have in my hands right now that I can bring to God and trust that He could really do something with it, that He could really make up for whatever I'm lacking in at this moment. And I know that sounds uncomfortable. I mean, I get it. It's totally uncomfortable for me too. But brothers and sisters, (laughs) if we look at the story of Scripture, we can see God working like this, like, like all the time, with people just like you and me, inadequate people, people who didn't have enough. People who didn't know how it was going to work out. He does that. That's his, that's his specialty. He can do so much with so little if we dedicate what little we have to him in faith. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? You remember how that started? <laughs> it started with a, a small boy. In John 6, verses 5 to 9, it it reads this. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming towards him to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? But he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And, And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. He said, there's a young boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? What good is that with this huge crowd? I mean, this is such a good example of what we're talking about today, right? Of what God can do with a little bit of faith. All they had was a tiny bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Andrew's words are so ironic and so perfect, I think. What good is that little amount of food going to do with such a huge crowd? (laughs) Well, Andrew, if you put it in the hands of God, it can do so much. Or how about jumping, jumping from one story to another? How about Moses? 
Do you remember this conversation between him and God when God was trying to convince Moses uh, to go and free his people, the Israelites, from Egyptian slavery? Look at what it says here in Exodus 4, 1 and 2. It says, uh, Then Moses answered, But behold, they're going, uh, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff. He said, A staff. Moses had a staff. <laughs> and let's be honest, a staff is just a fancy word for a stick, right? Uh, I mean, he had a stick in his hand. It wasn't much. But God was about to use that stick, along with a tiny bit of shaky faith that Moses had, to do some pretty amazing things. That stick was, was going to be a part of the plagues that freed God's people from Egypt. That stick was going to be a part of you know, parting the Red Sea so his people could walk through on dry ground. That stick was going to be a big part of winning the battle against the Amalekites. Remember when he's holding it up above his head. That stick was going to bring water from a rock to sustain God's people. You know, and we could go on. That stick, that staff, it did so many things, right? But the reality is, and we know this, it wasn't really the stick, right? Just like it wasn't really the bread or the fish for the disciples, and it wasn't really the jar of oil for the, for the mother. In all of these cases, it was just somebody who took what they had in their hand and brought it to God in faith that he could do something with it. And, and that's the message. That's it. That's the message for us today. So do you feel like you're running on empty? No, we so often want to wait for God to fill us up with enough, so, you know, with what we consider to be enough so that we can do what we consider to be possible. But the change in perspective that we're trying to appreciate today is that God is the one who will do it. And He will use us to accomplish much if we will only bring what little we have to Him and trust that He can actually do something with it. I'm sure that many of us can identify with the mother from our story in some way. You know, maybe it's her lack of resources. Maybe you feel like you just don't have enough of whatever it is that you need to properly serve God in the church or, or serve Him in your home. Or maybe it's the fear of losing your children to slavery. I mean, maybe not literal slavery, but still slavery in a very real sense. Slavery to sin. Slavery to the ways of the world. Maybe you identify with the mother's anger, you know, because things are just not fair for you in your life right now. These are really real things. They're real issues. And I, and I don't think the point of the story is to diminish or make light of what we're going through, but rather the goal of the story is to shift our focus, right? Shift our focus towards finding hope in a way that isn't grounded or based on our abilities or our resources, but rather on God's. The message of hope this morning is that God can transform our life. Well, He can transform anything that we bring to Him in faith. And that He can bear fruit from our faith. If we're willing to give what we have to Him and we're willing to put our faith in Him, even if that faith is weak, 
He can do something with it. And maybe this is the question we all need to consider today. It's the question that we've seen come up over and over in these scriptures today. You know, it's been phrased in different ways. You know, what's in your house? That's one way it's been phrased. Or what do you have in your hand, Moses? That's, a, that's another way it's been phrased. Or what do you have to feed these people? But really, all of these questions are asking the same thing, aren't they? What can you do with what God has given you today? What can you bring to Him in faith and trust that He, is, he can do something with it? I want to end off just with one final story here from the life of Joshua. Joshua, and, and if you don't know, he was a military commander for the Israelites as they were wandering through the Promised Land and before they got to the Promised Land, and then afterwards as well. In this particular story, he was leading God's people, and they were finally ready to enter into that land that God had promised to give them. It was like a, a great moment, you know, a culmination of like 400 years. They were finally ready to enter the Promised Land, but there was this one big obstacle in the way. This massive Jordan River, and it was springtime, and it was swollen and huge. But they needed to cross it somehow to get to the place where God was calling them to go. But how could they cross it with such an impossible obstacle in the way? I mean, is this story sounding familiar? Here's what God said to Joshua about how to solve it in Joshua 3, starting in verse 12. He said, Now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each of the tribes. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up. This is the same story all over again, right? But I think that's why we need to keep hearing it, because we need to see that this story could really be our story. It can be our story, too. I don't know what metaf metaphorical river <laughs> is in your life right now, is in your way right now. But I know you have one. Maybe you have lots of them. We all do. We know God wants us to cross the river. And we've just been, maybe we've just been waiting around and waiting for the stream to dry up so that we can get over there. We want the right conditions. We want things to be just right before we take a first step. We want to understand how we're going to get around all the obstacles in the way. But I guess the message this morning is that more often it seems that God doesn't really work this way with us. He wants us to get our feet wet. He wants us to take that first step in faith, trusting that He is going to clear the path for us as we move into it. Where are you at right now in your life with this? Is there a direction that God's calling you to go, but 
You know, you've been just waiting and waiting and waiting for things to be just right before you take that first step. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? Are you willing to move toward him right now with what you have right now? And trust that God will make up for whatever is lacking. This is a message for mothers who might be feeling like they're running on empty. But really, it's a message for all of us who are running on empty. We feel inadequate. We feel like we just don't have what it takes. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have the skills. Things aren't fair. And that may all be true. But the scripture today invites us to shift our focus. What do I have? And what could God do with it? If you need to respond to this message today in some way, and you feel like we can help you with that, please come and talk to me afterwards. Maybe, you, maybe that step for you today is to finally, put, um, to finally hand your life over to Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in Him, being baptized into His name. Maybe you feel inadequate for that. You know, you're not, you're not what you could be or should be, or, or your life is just too messy for that step. But I can promise you, you know what, God is, God is going to meet you where you are, and He will transform whatever you bring to Him. If we can help you respond in any way today, uh, please come and see me after this. Thank you so much for your time this morning.